0: Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, uh, anyone listening today. Just uh, want to go ahead and say thank you so much for tuning in for another episode of The Geek Pit. Today, I do have a very awesome and special guest, the uh, very talented, energetic. I have the charismatic and amazing Des Rocks, the Elvis reincarnate. How are you doing today?
1: I'm good. That's quite an intro. How are you?
0: <laughs> Not too bad. Um, I know it's uh, pretty early here. Uh, We're... Uh, where i'm recording so uh good morning to you and uh are you back in in new york or are you still on tour? yeah
1: no i'm finally back i got back a couple of days ago so it's kind of like the longest i've been away from the city for a long time
0: nice uh did you happen to take your uh your puppy on on tour or you know did you have somebody watch your dog for you
1: no yeah I'm. i'm very against taking dogs on tour i think it's like you know, unless you got a really comfortable tour bus set up, like just is a great way to confuse the hell out of a dog.
0: Oh, I bet. I can only imagine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I do typically start these uh, pretty lighthearted uh, before really diving into um, everything uh, the, you know, good questions about the interview. I usually do one icebreaker, but I actually have two icebreaker questions for you. Uh, the okay. first one is, if you're trapped on a deserted island uh, with an iPod, what five albums would you have loaded on there to help you get through?
1: <sighs> um, probably Elvis's live album called Prince from Another Planet. Um, Muses, Absolution. Uh, Queens, A Day at the Races. Led Zeppelin four, ooh, and uh, Talking Heads remain in light.
0: Nice, all solid choices. Thanks. Yeah, absolutely. And then Haley from New York, uh, what is the proper way mm-hmm. of eating a a slice of pie?
1: Um, well, oh, it's I just don't think there's any rules. You know, I think it's <laughs> like whatever floats your boat. I I hate in any art or food the idea of there is a a proper way to do it and anything else is heresy because that type of food itself was at one point heresy and improper and now you <laughs> know what i mean it's like yeah that's just a, a strong opinion of mine it's like whatever floats your boat me personally i fold um but only if the slice fold the bull. because not every slice is
0: right absolutely yeah no i get it and the reason i asked too is um Ahead of the Scream 6 release, Courtney Cox uh, release a video of the proper, and I'm using quotations here, proper way of eating a pizza. She sliced off the tip, ate that with a fork and knife, and then did the fold. And it was like, yeah, that's how you do it. And I was like, uh.
1: <laughs> I mean, it's I guess it's funny. It's just trolling. I mean, there are <laughs> ways that I would recommend doing it, and there are ways that different parts of the country do do it. But is there a one end-all be-all way to do it? No, definitely not.
0: Yeah, a lot of people stress that there is a proper way.
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: and uh, Jackie yeah. says that folding is a safety measure if you have dogs too, because they get brave and will steal your pie.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, mine, mine's a little more tame. Fortunately, she wouldn't, she wouldn't go for it.
0: <laughs> oh, that's good then. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And so you did start off playing uh, in basements and uh, bars and pubs since you were about thirteen years old. Uh, did he ever have to lie about your age so you could actually go into the venue and perform?
1: Uh, you know, actually there was this weird thing in New York where like every single person who owned the bar or a pub would just like make up this rule. And the rule was you could come in to play, but then you had to leave right afterwards. So it'd be like the most bizarre experience of like playing your heart out. And then like before <laughs> you could even pack up your gear, everyone's like, get out. You know what I mean? And that's just yeah. like, get out. But like, pack up your gear outside, even though it's, you know, 10 degrees or something, you know? (laughs) Um, And it was just like this, like quasi legal theory that bar owners had and allowed us to play those places at a really young age.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I think here in Arizona, you have to be at least uh, 18 to be able to play at a bar. And after Mm -hmm. that, it's obvious, you know, you can't have drinks or anything on the house. So pretty much same thing. Like, okay, you're done. You know, here's your cash. Get out.
1: (laughs) Right. And usually there was no cash for me. It was <laughs> just Ugh. like, you're done. Get out. <laughs> <laughs> like, we didn't even get paid for those shows.
0: Yeah. And um, I really do want to go ahead and um say, give a shout out here to my friend uh, who I went to go see Badflower with. Um, I remember having a really bad day at, um, at work that morning. So um, grabbing dinner before the show, I was already kind of like still upset about my day at um, I had at work. Uh, But my friend said I heard that Daz Rocks is really really good. We should, you know, just finish up and we should just head to the venue. And I was like, okay. I was like, you know, I'll follow your lead. We'll do this. I'm really, again, really really glad she did this because I never would have discovered you guys, and this interview never would have happened. So again, I just want to say thank you, and I want to thank her as well.
1: Hell yeah, that's awesome.
0: Yeah. So when my friend and I uh, saw you in Mesa a few weeks ago, you dropped some spring sting on us. As an artist, (laughs) how do you approach covers, especially to make them feel unique and your own?
1: Well, covers are a double-edged sword, right? Because you want to do something that is an event. Like for me, the cover needs to be like an event in the show, like a real Mm -hmm. special moment. Um, So you want to choose a song that kind of checks that box. And then the other box to check is making sure uh that you kind of like make it your own you know what mm-hmm. i mean and it's not just a straight rip off and then another box to check is um making sure it's not like by far the best song in your set you know what i mean like yeah that's all because you don't want to like upstage yourself with somebody else's song. so like a, a type of song that maybe doesn't compete with songs that you're making you know it's mean? so like <laughs> almost like a different flavor of your musical dna And then I think the fourth box to check on the musical DNA side is just making sure the song is something that's like really important to you and special to you. And like, you're playing this for a reason. So like, it's very weird with covers for me. I've only done a couple of them live, Mm -hmm. but i love to just, especially if I'm opening and a lot of people don't know me, I love to do one just to be like, here's what I'm about. Here's a song that's special to me. Here's an artist that's special to me. There's a theme to this song that I just like, couldn't write better myself. So I want to play it for you tonight. Um, and yeah, so that's why I approached the spring scene one. Um, we have a couple, a couple in the arsenal that just like based on the crowd that night and, and what I'm feeling, uh-huh. I'll take it any, any one of different directions. But yeah, Mesa Mesa was born to run night.
0: Nice. Yeah, because um, I was actually going to ask you, like, do you just do like a vibe check as well? Like, see if the crowd isn't, you know, really vibing with you before choosing like, okay, let's drop this cover here.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, like, it's just, you're like, a a lot of the show, you know, you kind of have like your fundamentals of like where you want to put certain songs. And Mm -hmm. then there's like all this breathing room in the show too, where like, if I'm really feeling one kind of way that night, for Mm -hmm. whatever reason, I could take the show a little left or I could take it a little right, you know? Um, so I, I always view it as like, like the set list in the show, it's like train tracks and along the way, all these stops where you can get off and explore a little bit, but the track is always there if you want to get back on. So you might start with one kind of set list for a tour Mm -hmm. and then realize like a a couple days in that you just really rather go another direction with it. Um, so it's kind of like this living, breathing thing. It's like always evolving, you know?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And when it comes to building a set list, um, you know, especially yours, it was so energetic, so, so moving. It got, you know, the crowd pumped and in all reality really going. Uh, Springsteen, you had us all singing along with you. Uh, when do you decide uh, in the planning process of doing a set whether to drop, you know, like, hey, I'm going to drop some of our more energetic stuff and I'm going to drop a, a slow song here and then just bring the uh, the energy in the crowd back up?
1: I think it really depends on the tour you're on and the shows you're playing. You know, if it's like, and also like the set length has a lot to do with it. Like if you have 30 minutes and you're opening and you're first of three or first of four sometimes, Mm -hmm. like you might be playing to a hundred people in a room and you want to just go in there and just shock and awe. And you want to come out with your biggest, baddest, hardest stuff and just leave people like with their mouths on the floor. If you have 45 minutes and your direct support, then you want to build in a little bit more of an arc to the show. And this is stuff that I'm always thinking about. I kind of think of sets like movies, you know? Mm -hmm. It's like, what do I want out of a short film? What do I want out of a full-length film? And then if you're headlining, you know, then you get to really take the audience on a journey. And that's really special because then you yourself get to experience this very different array of emotions throughout the show where you come out guns blazing. Then mm-hmm. um, you kind of settle into a more mid-tempo feel. Then maybe you want to get very personal and intimate um, and kind of like bring almost yourself and people to tears. And then you want to pick it back up again and just like <laughs> end on a really high note and just rock out into the sunset, you know? Yeah. Um, so like that arc and that dynamic journey, I think, it's something that's so important to me as a creator of setlist and like a curator of, of what the ride is.
0: Nice. I can respect that. And next time you're in Arizona in the Phoenix area, I truly hope that you're top of the bill. So you can actually take us on that journey and what that, journey yeah, I mean, <laughs>
1: yes, yeah, it's, it's a very different kind of show than the one you saw, you know? Um, yeah. I mean, a lot of the, a lot of the energy is the same, but to take 20 minutes, 30 minutes and go on a detour and get really personal and then to take it somewhere else for the end is is just like a really important thing that I think about
0: absolutely and one thing I do want to also say I really do appreciate about you is that you are very interactive with uh with your fans uh not only in the crowd but you're also very interactive on uh your social media so on twitter you know you're always liking you're retweeting and you know you're actually interacting with your fan base which i think is very very great and you don't see a lot of that happening too often
1: oh thanks yeah it's it's really fun for me to do
0: and so the other thing too is you have a very high energetic performance and so um, and so do uh, your bandmates william tully and uh eric meddleson are there any particular routines you do right before you perform so you can keep the crowd pumped and as well as, uh, you know, keep yourself going and pumped with all your dancing, jumping and guitar swings that you provide?
1: <laughs> um, you know, it's funny because like we're always, my drummer desperately wants like a ritual before the show, you know, <laughs> he, lo- he loves the idea of like, we need a ritual. And I'm like, yo, we're 200 Desrock shows in the ritual boat has sailed, you know what I mean? <laughs> and I also fear the idea of some sort of pre-show ritual because God forbid we don't ever, we don't get to do it or we forget to do it. Mm-hmm. But then I'm up there with like this bad juju and I'm like, oh, something's bad gonna happen. We need to do the ritual tonight, you know? Um, yeah. So we made the ritual that every night we do something completely different so that no matter what happens, we can just say, well, that's part of the ritual. So like, you know, it's like, <laughs> all right, we'll all, like touch butts and then we'll go up there. You know what I mean? That's <laughs> like, we just make up something new right before we go on stage. But like in the moments preceding that, you know, there's a lot of just like jumping around and just kind of like centering myself and like preparing my body for what I'm about to do to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and a bunch of vocal warmups as, as well. I just like to like get comfortable and get get um, familiar in the space.
0: Nice. And, you know, sorry for asking, but do you usually end up uh, getting sore after the show or, you know, the following day after, again, jumping around and dancing on stage?
1: I mean, like pretty much every night, it's like you're in like a car accident, you know? So it's Ugh. like, it's pretty intense on the body, but the there's nothing worse than the first one or two shows back after being off tour for a while. Like you will wake up the next day. Just completely unable to move because you go the muscle memory of how hard you want to go on stage mm-hmm. does not match what your body is prepared for. So, like, the first day back is pretty mm-hmm. tough, but then, like, show three, four, five, six, and beyond, mm-hmm. then your body gets totally acclimated to the trauma and uh is able to absorb it well.
0: So then,
1: <laughs> when you get off tour, I do like 30 shows in a row, 40 shows in a row. Then your body just like surrenders. And it's like, I need a couple of weeks to Oof. recover here.
0: Yeah. Yikes. Can't imagine that at all.
1: But, but like when you're doing it in the moment,
0: mm-hmm.
1: it's not, there's nothing forced about it or contrived. It's just literally how I interpret the music that I'm performing for you naturally. You know what I mean? Like there's right. no other way. I'm not like, oh, let's go. Like, not, nothing in my brain is like, go crazy, go hard, do this, do that. Like, this is just what I'm doing. You know, I, I often even in rehearsals, like once we get the songs down, like, and moving around like that, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, so yeah, it's, uh, it's intense, but it's, you know, it's, it's what I love to do. It's like when I'm, when I'm in that mindset up there and moving like that, I am like so fully realized as a human being.
0: <laughs> It does you know, blocking uh, for your sets, um, because I mean, again, you're dancing, jumping around, uh, when it's the smaller and in, more intimate venues, I have mm-hmm. the smaller stage, is that a little bit more difficult uh, for you to kind of maneuver around the stage or you just try to keep it minimal?
1: Oh, no, it's the same exact level of energy, just in a smaller space. And maybe I can't run as much, um, but I'll just be more into myself and you know more like more facing my bass player just more kind of like head banging and internal rocking than actually sprinting from side to side the whole time um so it's like the same energy no matter the same no matter the stage size and the same energy no matter the amount of people in the room like if it's like we have a saying in our band like we've played many times to 80 kids and we've played to eighty thousand people and it's the same show. I we always say that, like same show, eighty to eighty thousand. And actually, some of the best shows of my life, especially as Des Rocks, I've been to, eighty kids in a in a in a bar in San Diego like last year. You know, and we did like two hours, and it, it was just like a real magical night.
0: Nice. I bet. I bet that was great. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and we were going
1: <laughs> hard too,
0: like
1: hanging uh, from the freaking rafters. Yeah
0: that is awesome yeah from my understanding des rocks is a solo project except for when you go on tour uh you travel with your uh, two best friends can you describe what a typical recording um session or in studio session is for you and uh for the band as well
1: if you uh have recording in the it, studio. <laughs> yeah recording is very lonely you know it's usually just me sitting in a room uh twisting knobs and like screaming and hitting things and conjuring demons. I mean, the process of like writing and recording is literally like the definition of insanity. Like you are hearing voices in your head, you know? So I'm kind of like getting everything down. And then on this last album, the one that um, is actually gonna be coming out in a few months that first single will be out in a few weeks. Um, this is the first time that I really uh, like wrote and recorded and demoed everything. Mm-hmm. And then brought in uh, Will to play drums on on it um, and replaced my drumming and brought in um, Eric to replace most of my bass parts so that he could really make it his own. Um, so that was the process. And we got into like a formal studio to do that too for the first time also.
0: Oh, nice. I love it. And yeah. i that they were able to help you out in the studio to, you know, kind of replace uh, those sounds and make it their own as well.
1: Yeah, well, a big a big aim of my of of this album, the forthcoming album, mm-hmm. was to capture a lot of the feeling of the live show that's hard to capture in a, a recorded version of a song. Um, so that was definitely one of the goals in that it really added this like extra dimension to all the music.
0: OK, and also you brought up your single, so I want to say thank you so much for dropping it uh, at me. So that was awesome.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure.
0: And so speaking of your two friends, when uh, you guys go on tour, how do you manage to perform and still at the end, be, you know, be friends? Uh, because if you take a look <laughs> back at Kiss's history, Motley Crue, you know, at one point they all resented each other. Kiss still resents each other. Um, and there has been a couple of feuds in Slipknot with Corey Taylor and some of the other members. Um, you know, what's, uh, what do you guys do? So you, you, Don't head down that route or that rabbit hole.
1: I think a lot of, um, the success of our relationship, like with any other relationship in life is all about like structure and dependability and expectations. So like, we all know what we do on stage and off stage, and we just crush those roles to the max. You know, Mm -hmm. we all know that no matter what happens, we've always got each other's back on stage or off stage. You know, if one of us is horribly sick, we know the other people are going to carry the slack. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So like you could always depend on the other ones when the going gets tough. And in that sense, it becomes like a brotherhood. You know what I mean? It really does. like we really are there for each other and that leads to a great deal of safety and comfort. You know, I feel like bands with KISS and just bands like that in general where there's like less structure and they're all kind of like, you know, each one of them is their own solo artist in a sense Mm -hmm. that there's a lot of like what ifs and conniving and how come I'm not the center of attention, that kind of stuff. We really don't have that. Like we all, it's more like, you know, for me, the inspiration, like the E Street band, you know what I mean? Like Clarence is on sax, Max Weinberg is on drums. (laughs) They're all stars in their own right. You know what I mean? And you know what everyone's doing and you know, they're genuinely loving exactly what they do up there. So I think that's really um, essential to the success of any, any project life.
0: Absolutely. And, uh, I could just tell too that, you know, you guys truly do get along. You were smiling at each other, high-fiving each other, you know, making jokes with each other on stage. So that was, you know, great. That gave me a whole different uh, sense of energy of where you guys stand compared to other bands. And that's what brought me to ask that question.
1: Yeah. We also just have like a lot of mutual respect for each other. Um, you know, like, Obviously, like 30 shows in, especially if you're in a van or something, like Mm -hmm. people are going to get on people's nerves. But you (laughs) in that moment, you know why you're like, we're exhausted. I don't have time for any bullshit. You know what I mean, so it's not it's not like, oh, I really don't like this guy. The relationship is so much stronger than that and just endures so much harder than that, you know.
0: Mm -hmm. And accidents can happen at any given point. Have you ever had any onstage mishaps while performing, such as when a techie accidentally unplugged James Hetfield's mic during the Grammys performance with Lady Gaga? Uh,
1: um, you know, you especially in projects before Dez Rocks, I was riddled with tech issues. <laughs> but I've I've had every bad thing that could ever happen to you on stage happen to me on stage. So really, nothing phases me anymore. And I always have like a choice in that moment. It's like I can get upset Mm -hmm. and that doesn't help the situation or I can just continue to have fun. And I know maybe not in the next 30 seconds, but at some point it's going to get fixed. And then, you know, most of the time people don't even notice and just continue to enjoy the show and put on the best show I could put on.
0: Right. And especially if you act on phase, I'm pretty sure the crowd really won't notice as long as you keep on rocking with it as well.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, as many times we get off stage, and uh, I'll be like, man, that was that was rough. Like my guitar kept going out, and this kept, you know, going out, and the venue blank broke. And people would be like, "Really? I had no idea." I'm like, <laughs> "Wow, okay, that's good. That's good that you, we didn't react to it, and it's good that um it didn't affect the show."
0: Right. And then uh, the other question you brought it up uh, a little bit with playing from you know 80 people to 80,000 people. Uh, so, with Muse being one of your influences, what was it like opening for them? And when offered that gig, what was going through your head at that moment?
1: Uh, it was amazing. I was I was pretty blown away because, you know, like we're kind of like the opposite of of Nepo Babies. Mm-hmm. Like, I grew up in a very unmusical family, um, and we don't really have any connections at all in the industry. Don't really have any mentors in the industry. I've always craved that. I've always craved like some artist or some industry figure who guides me through everything. Unfortunately, I just never had that. I just kind of like always had to just learn shit the hard way and and make all the worst mistakes in the world <laughs> and get pounded <laughs> into oblivion and try and rise up out of it again. And for like a band like that, that I grew up just worshiping, to just reach out out of nowhere and be like, hey, you want to go on tour with us in like two weeks? Because they're just a fan of, of what I ended up producing musically after all those years of hardship. Um, that was like one of the most validating things for me uh, as an artist, you know.
0: That's awesome. And I read a interview with you too. Um, and I guess this isn't really your I made it moment. You Do you still feel like uh, you exactly haven't reached that point of I've made it?
1: Oh yeah. I don't think that's ever a point you make. I think I could be playing arenas and I, I'll never think I quote made it because like I, the I, the definition of made it is so amorphous. Like my goal is to just play for as many people as possible. It has nothing to do with financial. Like my only financial goal is to be able to just like live my life comfortably and I have to worry all the time, you know, mm-hmm. because as an artist, so many of those years, especially the early years, are just spent worrying. And when you're like operating on record deals and stuff, like you get in advance and you're like, okay, I got 18 months, I can live off this in New York City. Mm-hmm. So you always have these like ticking time bombs over your head, which are really antithetical to the creative process. So there's Absolutely. really no like making it. There's just like being at a place where you can just tour comfortably mm-hmm. and take care of your crew comfortably and make sure they're happy. And that's really the goal. Like that, that to me is making it.
0: Gotcha. That's really wholesome right there. Ah, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> and I kind of want to bring this up. So, your what exactly happened? What struggles did he have to overcome when you were pitching your uh, your album and to record labels? And you were, you know, playing rock rock and roll music when hip hop was, you know, up and rising again
1: yeah i mean it was the hardest struggle of my life like i would just spend hours a day guessing email addresses of labels of managers of agents and having them just listen to the music and you could see you know in soundcloud like how many people listen and like literally i would send like hundreds of emails and like people would introduce me to people hey looping you in with so-and-so at blank blank records and they just ghost. They just never respond. And they do listen and they never respond. Um, and then you just keep plowing ahead like month after month after month. You work whatever weird odd jobs you got to work
0: mm-hmm. so that
1: at night you can just make music and just keep trying to knock down doors. Now I'm like a door-to-door vacuum salesman for my music for so many years, just walking into offices, trying to get people to listen to it um and it was like many many years of just getting people to listen before um ali hagendorf and spotify kind of took a chance on me and and really put me on a few spotify playlists and that just like exposed my music to all the people who would never ordinarily listen to it and the second that happened then everybody came back out of the woodwork and they're like oh you know hey i can't believe i didn't respond to this like from an email nine months ago you know jeez, and and uh yeah, sometimes not just need like that one champion and I was so fortunate to have found mine. But then you go through the whole roller coaster, like, you know, I've been dropped from two record deals now, you know.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, it's like you just keep going if you believe in what you do and what you have to offer to the world as an artist. Um, so yeah, it's been it's been quite a journey.
0: Well, I'm glad that uh you know you did get your your break and you know you're on spotify and you're touring and again really happy that i was able to actually find your music uh live <laughs> as well
1: yeah thanks man
0: yeah absolutely and but like
1: also I, I think like that whole lifetime journey uh, the whole roller coaster like that's so integral to the performance live in a really weird way because yeah. like all three of us on stage we've all been in those circumstances We've been signed by a really eager A&R guy. We've then been ghosted by that guy, shelved by the label, put on ice, struggled to get out of a record deal for a year. And then we're finally dropped. You know what I mean? Yeah. And all we want to fucking do is just play our music for people. And that's all we want to do. And during the day, like we have to navigate all that bullshit. So when we step out on that stage, mm-hmm. it's like this ultimate catharsis. You know what I mean? Like we are just, letting it all out and it's like this hyper exaggerated um performance style because it is just so celebratory for us you know what i mean it is right. so true and passionate and just like uh romantic for us you know
0: and i'm sure musicians will you know uh, especially local ones that go see your shows uh will understand that the struggle is real um, but you know, a lot of the regular crowd goers are probably like, "Oh, you know, they probably got lucky somehow, or you know, they're <laughs> they're talented, so good for them." You know, they made, you know they made it. They're playing. That's awesome. I, that's the way I see it.
1: <laughs> yeah, talent doesn't mean shit. Like no, nobody has paid their dues more than Des Nobody.
0: Absolutely. Nobody. I mean...
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm. I'm gonna tell you this right now. Like, I've spent a lifetime playing bars and driving all night in the winter and having just enough money in my checking account to fill up the gas tank to get to the next show and and like sleeping on the venue floor you know what i mean all while like working odd jobs and um just like doing anything i do and going to going to school at night you know what i mean like there's no and having everyone in your family tell you like fuck this shit you know what i mean right it's like nobody has paid their dues more than us me holly and eric on stage like and again i think that's why the performance style is the performance style it is because we're just so happy to be there we're just so grateful for every moment that we can be on stage you know
0: yeah absolutely and you heard it here first you know des rocks has definitely paid all their dues so
1: more dues than any other (laughs) fucking artist out out there today i'm telling you
0: (laughs) so go support them if you hear the name des rocks anywhere (laughs) and they're coming to a city near you go see them go support them trust me like their show is (laughs) definitely worth it
1: (laughs) but also you know i have this weird thing with the whole dupe because like i'm not some like old school punk style guy where i'm like oh you gotta you gotta pay your dues otherwise you're not legit like i think an artist can just come out the gate legit born amazing Mm
0: -hmm. and
1: work hard and rise really quickly and that's a really awesome existence to have but it's just not my path you know what i mean right so if you if you are searching for due paying cred i got it but it's not important to me you know what i mean like that's that's an important distinction because i hate like the curmudgeon approach that people have, where it's like, oh, they didn't pay their dues. It's like, a lot of people don't, you know? Yeah. So it's not, it's not necessary for success. And if you think as an artist that it's really important that you just grind and work yourself to the bone in order to achieve success, like that's a really toxic approach. Like the art needs to come first, you know?
0: Yeah, don't kill yourself trying to, you know, make your art happen. <laughs>
1: yeah, I mean, like sometimes that's necessary. Sometimes it's not sometimes, you know, if you have people around you who are like a really good team and really believe in you, Mm -hmm. then you will not have to kill yourself as much and you could focus more on the art. For me, I just never really had like a lot of champions until pretty recently. You know, Um, people just always thought like, look at this kid playing a bar in the lower East side, 50 people like he's Freddie Mercury and he's in his head, he's playing to 80,000 people you know, I just looked like yeah. an idiot. And They're like, I was like, fuck <laughs> this kid. You know what I mean? Like, this guy, this guy's a lunatic. Like, I don't want to do with him. Um, and I was also working really bad for many years before I was any good. So, you know, some of them were right in the early days.
0: Yeah. What do you, okay. So I have a couple of questions here, or, uh, but I promise we're almost done. But one of the biggest things I'm, is when it comes to success, where do you, where does the su- success lie? Because there's, uh, other artists have you know just automatically launched off however it ends up that they only have a one hit wonder while others can keep you know that progress and that momentum going and which leads to you know multiple album contracts and that sort of thing
1: yeah so there's a question like how do i define success
0: right or uh how do you or your opinion on like one hit wonders like oh, those groups
1: um I mean, it's kind of a curse. I feel bad for one hit wonders, you know? <laughs> like, I think if you're a one hit wonder, the sooner you realize your one hit wonderdom, the sooner you realize that you are a one hit wonder, the better for you, because then you're creatively free to just do whatever you want, and you're not chasing a second hit. Um, but me, like, I've never had a hit. I don't really want to hit. My only goal is just to play to as many people as possible, and have as many people as possible hear my music whether that's 10 different songs or whether that's one song it doesn't really matter to me and the only way i really define success is if i'm able to do that if i'm able to go play a venue and people want to show up and, and sing along and like really partake in something very special and very spiritual with us you know like that's how i define it um and also just being able to again like i was talking about earlier like take care of my touring crew like pay them well you know what i mean like make sure everybody's happy. My front of house guy's happy. My guitar tech is happy that they're living a good life and that they're pumped to spend four months with me on the road every year or however many months it is. And they can live a nice life. You know, like that's, that's really like the one thing I think about and provide a nice life for myself and be comfortable and have to worry about stuff like that's success. Like success is Mm -hmm. not mega stardom. Success is being so comfortable that I can just create whatever art I want to create and not having to worry about like, uh, Making sure that our merch girl can like eat lunch, you know what I mean? Like right. that—that's success <laughs> to me. Because no. like that shit does weigh on me a lot, you know.
0: Yeah, no, I absolutely love it that you know you're you're there defining it. Like you said, uh, being able to feed your crew and your staff, making sure that they're happy as well.
1: Oh yeah, it's it's we're like a family, you know what I mean? Like a hundred percent, it's like a fam- a touring family, and you have to be. And I feel bad for anybody who isn't because touring is can be so lonely and so isolating that you just need to be like such a unit you know
0: right absolutely and then the next question i have for you here is when it comes to releasing singles um do you specifically choose what single comes out or is that more of the record label's job to do
1: yeah i mean it depends like if you're signed to a record label then it's like a very collaborative process Mm -hmm. and just hopefully you've gone with a partner that will defer to your release plans and hopefully you're open-minded enough Where if there's somebody who has a lot of experience in this sort of thing they're like all right it should be this single first because of x and they can explain to you why it should be that first single um but to have a lot of input is is super super important or sometimes i just don't care sometimes i'm like i I stand by every one of these songs Mm -hmm. roll them out do your thing i'm gonna just keep making music um and let me know you know
0: <laughs> absolutely. And then my last question for you here is, if you could give your younger self any piece of advice, what uh, what advice would that be?
1: Just to be patient, you know. And I still give myself that advice today. Like, it is a long road, and a lot of my idols did not realize their level of uh, creative achievement. For a long time, because it takes a long time to get really good at this for most people, so it's just patience, and that's that's always in my Achilles heel.
0: <laughs> I think a lot of us struggle with patience. <laughs> but yeah, that's solid advice.
1: As a, <laughs> as a New Yorker, I, I just live in like an on-demand environment, and I'll just like, you know, especially when you release music, like in, in the music industry, if you like put out a song and it's not like a smash hit the next day, everyone's like, the song is dead. And uh, what's the next song? And you're like, fuck. Like, I think we all need some patience. you
0: know? Yeah. And then lastly, just want to go ahead and say um, thank you so much for jumping into the pit. Uh, really great episode. Uh, you can find this podcast and other podcasts like it at geek-network.com. You can also check out articles there. Our socials all across the board are going to be Geeks A-Z. Uh, my personal social media handles are super commie daniel and that's across all the board uh des rocks um any shows you would like to uh, go ahead and promote i know you're on break for about a month a uh, month and a half before you go back on tour and then any social media handles you would like to drop
1: uh yeah i'm pretty much i am des rocks everywhere and i'm going back on the road in may and june so i'll see you there
0: Awesome. Love it here. Uh, once again, just want to say thank you so much for your time. I truly do appreciate it. And I hope that you enjoy the rest of your day. And thank you so much for jumping into the pit with me. Thank you. <laughs>
1: Thanks. Of course. Have a good one, man.